Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Our Father, you know that uh, our hearts desperately need surgery. They need the surgery of your word to open them up so that we can see our sin and to pour in the beautiful healing balm of the news of salvation in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So please do that work today. We cannot change our hearts. I cannot change anyone's heart, but you are the great heart changer. And so we ask wherever we are today, be at work in our hearts by your word, through your spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And if you're a sort of JF age person, Graham's at the back there, or if you'd like one of these, there's some sheets um, for guys and JF. So stick a hand in the air, and Graham will bring you one, and a pen, if you want to know uh, where we're going, um, and you'd like a sheet. Now, I guess one of the greatest fears you have as a parent is losing your child in a crowded area. I don't know if you've done that, if you're a parent, you've done that. <laughs> Funnily enough, we have. You know, in a supermarket, you're there, you're just sorting out which apples aren't covered in bruises as you dig through to the bottom, and you're sure your little one's beside you, and then you turn, and they've gone. And it's amazing, isn't it, that most two- to three-year-olds are faster than Hussein Bolt. I don't know how it happens, but within a millisecond, they've disappeared to some aisle with something extraordinarily exciting in miles from you, and your heart pounds, and you're terrified. Where have they gone? Of course, you run through abduction, major injury, out into the road. It all goes through your mind. And usually, after about 30 seconds, which seems like three hours, you discover them in front of their favorite toy in the aisle two from you. Now, I guess if you saw a small child wandering around on the street, you'd want to help it. Your heart would go out to it. I mean, if you, if you walked out of church today and there was a three-year-old wandering down, even Coppard Gardens, though they can hit those speed humps quite heartily, some people driving around Coppard Gardens. But even on Coppard Gardens, quite a quiet road, you, you want to help it, wouldn't you? Because you recognize small children can't look after themselves. They're very vulnerable. You, you want to take the child and re- restore her to the care of her parents. You wouldn't leave the child because you were too busy. You wouldn't let them just wander around on their own because you're a bit embarrassed about interfering in their life. I mean, they are an individual with rights. Why would you go and tell the three-year-old they shouldn't be wandering around in the road? I mean, they might want to wander around in the road. You certainly wouldn't think it didn't really matter if you saw a toddler in the middle of the road. As you here last week, we read these words about the Lord Jesus' attitude to the people around him. They came in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He could have uh, written they were harassed and helpless like a two-year-old without a parent. You see, uh, sheep without a shepherd, they, they can't defend themselves, can they, from predators. They can't care for themselves. And if they get injured, there's nothing they can do about it. They just lie there thrashing around in the middle of the field, slightly helpless until they die. And so what does Jesus do? He, he tells his disciples, pray. Pray for people to go out. Go out to these helpless and harassed people. Pray. And then what does he do in chapter 10? He says, go. Go. That's what he says in 10, 1 to 15. He sends his first followers on a rescue mission. He commissions them to take the message of his kingdom, his beautiful kingdom to others. He says, go. Tell them about the king of love, their shepherd is here. That's what we're going to see this morning. 
That, that as Jesus sees these helpless, helpless people, he sends his first followers. It's not an easy ride for the disciples. You can read about that in Matthew 10. It says they'll be like sheep amongst wolves in verse 16. It says they'll be handed over to the authorities in verse 17. It says they'll even be betrayed by their own families in verse 21. They'll be hated because of Jesus in verse 22. And they'll be persecuted in verse 23. If you've come here today because you hope that Jesus will make your life more comfortable, I can guarantee that you'll be sadly disappointed. Read Matthew 10. When you, we're not going to study the whole thing. We Go away and read it. And you'll see that the expectation of someone following King Jesus in a world that basically hates his rule is that you will have a very rough ride for it. But, but it's worth it. It's worth it because of who he is and what he's done and what he promises. That, that's why it's worth it in, in our society where, well, increasingly, isn't it the case that practicing your Christian faith has to be done in private? Our society puts us in enormous pressure to keep our opinions to ourselves. Now, now we can only do that. We can only shut up shop as Christians if we're happy to ignore the words of Jesus. Happy to ignore what he says about the desperate state of lost people. Sheep without a shepherd, a toddler without a parent. If we're, we're happy to ignore the fact that he is the beautiful king who's come on a rescue mission to, to bring those lost people to safety. We can only shut up shop. We can only hide away if we're happy to ignore the world around us and happy to ignore the king who rules us. If we're happy to ignore people who are in greater danger than a toddler wandering down the hard shoulder of the motorway. I don't know about you, but I'm not happy to do that. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's never easy talking about Jesus, is it? the message about a king and the one message that our culture says is it's your right to rule your life and do what you want and we go out and say no there is one who made you and loves you and he has the right to rule your life and tell you what you should do that's the one thing our individualistic culture won't tolerate but still Jesus sends his disciples here because people are harassed and helpless he says, go, because he is the king of love. And of course, as he sends them, he sends us. He says, go to us. And, and if we love him and we love people, we've got to listen to what he, he says in Matthew 10, 1 to 15. You see, like the apostles, we're the messengers of the king. That's the first thing. Do you understand that this morning if you're a Christian? You are the messenger of the king. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 10 with me. Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and illness. There are 12 disciples because they've come to fulfill the 12 tribes of Israel, the, the Old Testament people of God. But now, you, you don't be, you're not a member of the people of God by coming into the nation of Israel. No, you're a member of the people of God by following the Lord Jesus. And these 12 men are going to make his message known. And this is the first time they're called apostles in the Bible. It means sent ones. That's their nature. They're to be sent by the king with a message. 
And he gives them authority to demonstrate his kingdom. We saw that last week in chapter 1. They're to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. It's just what Jesus has been doing in 935. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. Now, now when you're an ambassador, that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? It's actually the highest position in diplomacy, because you're to represent Her Majesty's government to a foreign country. You become literally the spokesperson of the United Kingdom. So the the way you behave, you know, when you you go to that diplomatic mission, now if you get thoroughly trolleyed and throw up over the Japanese Prime Minister's feet, it says something not just about you, but about the country you're representing. What you say can change the nature of relations between nations. That's why ambassadors are usually chosen after proving themselves for many years. You've got to show yourself worthy of that job. Now, the same couldn't be said of Jesus' choices. You see them in verse 2 to 4? They're a pretty motley crew, really. You've got Peter there, labeled first among equals. But, But at this point, Peter's just all wind. He's a hothead. I mean, he talks a great game, but, but if you know Peter, he wimps out when the going gets tough. You wouldn't want him on, on your team if there was going to be a, a bit of a hard time coming. We, we don't know much about Andrew, his brother, but then you've got James and John. And they're totally power-hungry. Just in a, uh, a little later in Matthew chapter 10, they're going to go with their mum to Jesus and say, Look, Jesus, uh, we understand there's a kingdom, and we'd like to be Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer. Is that okay with you? Yeah, we'd like the top jobs in your kingdom. I mean, James and John, they're all about themselves at this stage. And then the rest, you've got doubting Thomas. Well, he's hardly encouraging. You've got Matthew, the tax collectors, which in our culture, labeling Matthew as a tax collector is like labeling Matthew the drug dealer. Then you've got Simon the zealot. That could mean he's very keen or he's a Jewish terrorist. And then, of course, you've got Judas Iscariot who betrays him. I mean, it's, a, it's a hardly a who's who of worthy Jews of the day. It's just a very ordinary cross-section of society. And the first readers of Matthew, they'd have known these men. Most of these men would have still been alive as they were reading Matthew. They were church leaders of the day. And, and Matthew's saying, yeah, do you remember how ordinary they were? Do you remember who they were when Jesus chose them? Ordinary people given an extraordinary job. Now, we're not apostles here today. These men were appointed by Jesus himself for a specific mission at a specific time. But but these 12, they're only the start of it. Because as David's already pointed out, Jesus calls on all his followers to go, to spread the news that God's king has been crowned on a cross so that people can turn and come to him. Lost people can be found. Harassed and helpless people can find love and strength and hope. See, very ordinary people like you and me are sent as messengers of the king. Did you believe that? Do you believe that there is no greater privilege? That there is no higher calling? There is no more esteemed honor? There is no more vital job than to be an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords. That's who you are. It's vital we remember that because our culture tells us no one's got the authority to tell anyone what they should believe. But, But it's not just little old you with your little own beliefs. 
We can feel that sometimes, can't we? That, that as we're longing for people to come to know Jesus, the best we can say is, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Or uh, Christians think God created the world. But, but that's not the case. You know, Jesus rose from the dead, full stop fact. God created the world. He did. And therefore, we as ambassadors of the king, we have the confidence of those sent with a certain message. It's a huge privilege to be a messenger of the king. And we don't do it because we're special. (laughs) Far from it. These apostles, they weren't special. No, we do it because he is special. We don't do it because we look down on people. We do it because he looks down on the entirety of his creation and longs that people would come back to him. No, we are not stating our opinions. We're stating the message that Jesus has given us. The message of the king. That's that's the second thing to see. You see, you're a messenger, but we've got a message. You see, the apostles are given given their marching order in in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter a town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now this shows us, doesn't it, that this is particular to them. In fact, I think everything in verses 1 to 15, first and foremost, is particular to the apostles he's speaking to here in his time. Let's go to the lost sheep of Israel for two reasons. Firstly, that's who's on their doorstep. Jesus sends them to the people they know. I mean, it might be that the Lord is calling you to go to China. He could be asking you to pray name by name through the entire population of Southeast Asia. But it's easier and better to start with your neighbors, to start with the people you work with, to start with the people on your street. First and foremost, they're the people to go to. But but secondly, Jesus is telling them to go to Israel because those are the people who've been given God's promises. That The history of the Old Testament is the history of of Israel. God chose them, and God is faithful, and he's loving, and now that the Messiah, the king has come, the long-awaited king, they should hear about it first. It's not that Gentiles or non-Jews are not welcomed by Jesus, just in chapter 8, two chapters before. Jesus says to our Roman centurion, a commander in the hated foreign army, he says this, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. No, no, it's not only for the Jew, not for the Gentile. It's first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's why the apostles are sent to the Jews first. But, But the message of the gospel is for everyone. The question is, how will they respond? Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message The kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth because God's king is here. Jesus is here. And with him comes the power to restore people to relationship with God and relationship with the world around them and relationship with each other. We get a little picture, we saw this last week, of the permanent blessings of the kingdom. And the apostles, they're sent out with evidence to prove that. If if you see in verse 8, heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. 
See, these apostles, they're told, you will be able to bring the future blessings of God's kingdom into the present to prove I am God's king. It's a commission given specifically to them. That's emphasized, isn't it? Verse 5, the 12 Jesus sent out. Now, someone asked me after the service last week, are you saying, Daft, that, that God can't perform miracles today? And no, no, I'm not saying that. No, God can perform miracles today. It's just we're not given quite the same authority as the apostles. You see, they were told there's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no unclean leprosy wherever you go. People are going to see the future and the present. And it is a beautiful future, isn't it? I want to keep emphasizing that to us as a church. When we go with the message of the king, we're going with the most beautiful message in the world about the most beautiful person in the world. I think so often we think that the message of the gospel is by nature terribly unattractive. But, but do you see what it is? It's a message with no more sickness. It's a message with no more death. It's a message with no broken relationships between God and people and no broken relationships between people. That is a beautiful message. It's a message about a relationship you're freely given. That's why they're to freely give it. See, God's king has come to sort out a world wrecked by our sin. He's come to restore lives destroyed by our selfishness. He's come to bring friendship with God where we've behaved like his enemies. That's the message of the king. And it's free. Free. Did you see that at the end of verse 8? It's free to us. But it's very costly to Jesus. See, Matthew's going to go on, isn't he? And he's going to record towards the end of his gospel a sham trial, a brutal flogging an agonizing crucifixion. And only after Jesus has gone through all that and risen from the dead does he say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's free for us to come into Jesus' kingdom. It's very costly for him to become our king. And that's why we've got to keep Jesus as king at the heart of the gospel. Did you know that? It's good news to be ruled by the king of love. <laughs> Everything within you will think, no, it's not good news to, to, to live with someone else in charge of my life. But no, it is. It's good news to be ruled by the king of love. It's good news to be controlled by the one who rules the world. It's good news to submit your life to the one who gives life to the full. We've got to keep preaching that Jesus is king. There is a danger, I think, that when, when we want to tell people that the gospel, the good news, we make it into something that's about us and not Jesus. We make it into something, well, there's this guy called Jesus, and you feel bad about yourself, but don't worry, because he died for you, and he took away all your bad things, so you can feel content now, and you don't have to feel guilty. And the great news is, once you've lived your life for yourself, one day you're going to go with the, in heaven, which is like the place you really want to be. And that's not the gospel. Because the gospel has Jesus at the heart of it. And the gospel's about God's love for us and our love for him. You see, the, the kingdom is not a kingdom of self-love. It's a kingdom of love for one another. 
It's not a kingdom of take, take, take. It's a kingdom of give, give, give. Freely you've been given, so freely give. And that's the way the apostles are to offer the gospel. You see, they're the messengers. There's a message. And here are the means. But thirdly, the means with which they're to go out with this message. Verse 8 again. Freely you've received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take within your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. This isn't sort of a... um, Lesson in lack of apostolic personal hygiene. My uh, sister-in-law got fed up with her sons not washing or changing their clothes when they were sent off on kids' camps together. So one year she put a Mars bar into each of their wash bags. This was what you call a little test. And sure enough, after a week of running around in Cornwall on a bunch of very sweaty activities, back came the wash bag with the Mars bar untouched in the middle of it. It wore off. They're happily married now. You see, this isn't... This isn't well, why is it that the apostles to go out with such lack of luggage? Well, it's because there is no charge for the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. Freely, God has given us His Son out of His great love because of who He is, His kindness, His mercy. And so... There to go out, not not to test the people. It's not there to go out and and find out who's going to support them and who won't. No, they're to go out because the gospel's to have no strings attached. They're to go out trusting that God will provide everything they need for the mission. They're not to make special provision as they take the message of Jesus out. No, they will give the message freely, and therefore the life of the messenger will illustrate the message. In other words, they're going to show that they're dependent on God for everything as they encourage people to come to God and trust Him for everything. That the worker will be kept by God. That's what it says at the end. The worker is worth his keep. Yes, the Lord usually keeps Christian people and Christian workers by other Christians giving. That's why caring for life need people to give money to the work. That's the way the Lord's ordained that he, he keeps people. But the apostles here are to show their trust in God. They're not testing the people they speak to. And actually, there's a, there's a great challenge and encouragement for us as we seek to take the message of Jesus out. Well, what are the means we need to do that? Well, the primary thing we need to do is trust God and freely give the gospel. It's a challenge to us because, well, I guess if our friends and family see us flapping about everything in life, if, if we say to them, well, I trust a God who loves me and is in control of everything, but then all they see us do is flap about whether we have enough money or, or whether we ha- have enough things in life, well, that won't illustrate the message, will it? But also it's a challenge to us as we seek to take out the gospel because it, it means that we start with prayer. That's where we've started over the last two weeks. That the means of taking out the gospel is to trust the Lord, and that's expressed as we gather to pray together. And the encouragement is, is that God says, I will give you all you need to take the means out, to take the message of the gospel out. I'll do it by my grace. Did you see what Jesus is doing? He chooses the messengers, he gives them the message, and then he says, He'll provide the means. 
that you don't need to take anything with you. No, I'll provide all you need. So, so as we look to plant a church in Tolworth, well, what do we do? We know God will provide all we need. As we take in applications for our associate pastor, well, we know God will provide all we need. That The means of taking the gospel out is, is to trust in his grace to us. As you think about, how am I going to raise the gospel with my friends or my family who are so antagonistic? Or how am I going to find that time to have a chat with the colleague who, who has expressed an interest in Christianity? Or how on earth am I going to even get to know my, my neighbor who is, who is a Hindu, let alone begin to raise the person of Jesus with her? Don't worry. King Jesus will give you all you need. It's by grace. That's the means that can do it, however hard. I mean, just take these, these 12 apostles in Matthew 10. Yeah? Imagine yourself, you're there with them. Now, do you think they would have imagined us sitting here 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away? Do you think they would have managed, from what they're just about to do, that this would be the result of them going out with the message of Jesus? Or think about your life. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Could you have imagined when you first started in your first faltering steps to trust in Jesus, what he would do with you and through you over the years since then? No, it's all by grace. That's the means at our disposal. That's why Jesus says, don't take everything or anything. Trust you'll be provided for. And you'll need that. You'll need to trust his grace because the last thing we see this morning, it's the crisis of the king, the crisis of the king. Because wherever the apostles go with the message, there's going to be a crisis. That means there's going to be a a shocking divide between people right through the heart of everyone they speak to. It's, It's a crisis really summarized at the end of the chapter. Just turn over and look at Matthew 10 and verse 40 with me. Jesus says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. (coughs) And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. (coughs) You see, if you welcome the messenger, you welcome Jesus, and you welcome his Father in heaven. You welcome God, the one who sent him. If you reject the messenger, you reject Jesus. You reject God the Father who sent him. That's the crisis. Whenever the good news of Jesus, the message is spoken, there's a division that occurs. And so Jesus says back in chapter 10 and verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Worthy doesn't mean, you know, look for the mayor or look for the woman who attends the mother's union. No, no, it means look for the person who will accept you. They're not to look for the biggest house. They're to look for the most open heart. Go to the person who accepts you. And then verse 12 to 13. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. To offer peace was a a standard greeting in Jewish culture. Shalom. It's not just like a good morning. No, it's to say here, I want you to experience the fullness of relationship with God and his blessing. But put it simply, if the messengers find a warm welcome for their message about Jesus, they're to stay. 
as a mark that God's blessing and peace rests on that house. If they don't, they should go. See, people's response to Jesus is the biggest division in the world. Everyone in the world is divided into two camps. It's not, do you support Arsenal or Chelsea? It's not, you know, are you Welsh or English? It's, what do you make of Jesus? Christian or not Christian? (coughs) And the disciples are not to gloss that over. They're not to fudge it. We're tempted to fudge it, aren't we? What we think, uh, what people think of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so much more convenient to fudge it. It's so easier, much easier to fudge it. To to suggest, well, believing in Jesus, it's a great thing. It's a good thing to believe in him. But it doesn't matter too much. It's not a disaster if you reject the message. Whereas the disciples, what are they to do? They they behave in an extraordinary way. Can you imagine going to someone's house and doing this? (laughs) If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Sounds like our house. When a, when a pious Jew walked through Gentile territory as an indication that these non-Jewish people were unclean and not part of God's people, they'd shake the dust off their feet as they walked out of the Gentile non-Jewish town. And now Jesus says to his followers, you are to treat Jewish people who reject me like that. If people won't accept Jesus, well, that's the ultimate sign that they don't have God's promises. Now, now I'm not suggesting that you, you go to your friend who's, who's not a Christian in their house and you're, you're desperately praying for an opportunity to speak of Christ and over you know, the pizza you say, well, you know, we've got this quiz night and they say, oh, I'm just not interested. You know, I'm just don't get religious on me and let's watch the telly together. And you go, well, I'm sorry, I've got to go and out the door, okay? That's not the application of this. The application is this, though. For everyone we meet, what they make of Jesus is the most important issue in their life. You know, whoever they are, whether they're, say, nice and nominally nip along to church from time to time, or whether they're a bitter and hardened atheist, The issue is, what do you make of Jesus? And that's an embarrassing distinction for us. You know, we we don't want to raise that a lot of the time. Because let's be honest, we just like people. And they're kind to us. And we enjoy their friendship. And we, we don't want to risk them rejecting us. And in the end, therefore, we don't raise Christ with them. But actually we have to because one day that is all that will matter. Did you see that in verse 15? Truly I tell you it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah had come to stand really for everything awful about rejecting God. You'll know the story from Genesis 19. They were destroyed by fire and brimstone. Even those words in our culture have the idea, don't they, of of terrible, slightly trivialized, the judgment of God. They were destroyed by fire and brimstone because of their wickedness. And Jesus is saying, it's better to be burnt alive under the judgment of God than to stand before me on the day I judge the world as a person who has rejected me as king. And that's why, if we love lost people, 
and we believe Jesus is king, then there is nothing more serious, nothing more important than where they stand with him. And Jesus uses this image because he wants us to understand that actually judgment and hell are real and he is the only way to avoid it. There was an article yesterday in uh, the sports section about Tom Youngs, the Leicester rugby captain. Here's a picture of him. And Leicester, until yesterday, they'd lost the first three games of the season, which if you're a Leicester Tigers fan, you'll know is a a rare disaster. They won yesterday against Gloucester. But uh, the article talks about how how Youngs is doing, and in the end, it, it says those things don't matter too much to him. He says this in a paragraph, the person writing the article, you could forgive Youngs, however, for being distracted. Four months have now passed since the news emerged that the cancer his wife Tiffany has been battling since 2014 is now terminal. Do you see what's on Young's mind? He knows what really matters to his wife. In his opinion, it's life and death and cancer and time with her. And sometimes it takes serious disease for us to wake up to that. That's where David started our service. So it's a real encouragement to try and get here for the start or to listen to what David said. It's a very humbling way to start our service, isn't it? For David to say that his brother, being critically ill in intensive care in Southampton, has reminded him there's only one thing that really matters for everyone. Perhaps like me, you've got someone in your life and you know the one thing that mattered. For years, I wanted to have a conversation with my dad about where he really stood with the Lord Jesus Christ. I only plucked up the courage when he was unconscious and full of tubes in intensive care in Liverpool. I could say whatever I wanted. It wasn't a negative response. It just wasn't any response at all. Did you believe that Jesus is king? Did you believe you're his messenger? Do you believe the message is such good news? It's about a king of love, a king who gave his life for you, a king who promises a perfect future, a king who will take you to a world where you'll know none of the pain and sadness and sickness of this. Do you believe it's good news? Do you believe he'll give you the means to take it out? It's all of his grace. He says, don't worry too much about what course you know and what you've got and how you're going to do it, just trust me. I'll give you the means to take the message out. Do you believe that? Because there is a crisis. It's it's what they make of him that matters. And I can't change your hearts. I can't change my heart. Each week I, I preach this truth to myself on a regular basis and each week I seem to wimp out of making Christ known. But let me say to you, because it's one of those weird things that it's easier to say things one to three hundred people than it is to say them one to one. Let me say to you, if you're not yet a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ here, if you're not yet a Christian, I believe one day you will find that is a dreadful state to be in. And you'll have rejected the King of Love who wanted to freely give you a relationship with God. And I'm very, very sorry if I've not made that clear to you. And you need to come to him. And you need to do it today. And you don't have to speak to me because 
I'm a bit awkward, really. And it's hard speaking to someone. But, but why not take a booklet from the back entitled The Real Jesus and read it and make your peace with God today? And for us who know him, we have no greater privilege than this. We are messengers of the king. Very ordinary people, but given an extraordinary message. We've freely received it. And Jesus says, freely give it. You see, do you believe what he says in Matthew 10? Well, he'll give you all you need to share this message with others. Go. Go. And make our king known. Let's pray together.